Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is an ABC podcast. So do you think last weekend when Leon Cameron was putting all the magnets out on the board, he went to put Toby Greens on and his mum said, careful, you'll have someone's eye out with that. Who thought of this one? Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Groundbreakers, history makers. Oh, ladies, strap yourselves in. It's preliminary finals week and it doesn't get better than this. I am so thrilled to be back here in the Stu Stu studio with my Sanctum football loving sisters. I'm Emma Race, but I'm going to let these chumps introduce themselves. I'm Tess Armstrong. Hello. I'm Lucy Race. And I'm Alicia sometimes. Look at us. We're tight. We're really tight today, aren't we? Tired? We are. Look, we're bearing the lead. We're exhausted. (laughs) But we're in a good huddle. And I always think a really good, tight huddle is a good indicator of how well the team is going to play. We went to the AFL Media Awards last night and huge congratulations to Lauren Wood, who cleaned up for the award for best individual coverage of the AFLW and to AFL dot com uh, forward slash forward slash women's who won for best coverage of the AFLW and we were very pleased to see that so it was nice to be in that room it's a funny old room people are still hurting a lot after uh, the death of Danny Frawley and there was a lot of pain in the room last night so it was a bit of a weird celebration but there was some bridges made and some fences mended and that was kind mm. of nice to see but that's why we're a little tired and it's the end of the season we're a little what would we call it dusty Dustin Martin yes. Omen what are our thoughts. Uh, clutching at straws, Tess Armstrong. So we've had the, the games on the weekend were massive and surprising. There was, I mean, it's oh. rare. I feel like it's rare to get an upset at this part of the season. Do you agree? It's a blessing mm. to get an upset at this type of yeah. this time of the season. I felt that the finals campaigns of the last couple of years, not the extra time, overtime, West Coast Port final from a couple of years ago. Apart from that, they've been a bit boring. So it was really exciting mm. on the weekend to get two close matches that we didn't know what was going to happen at three-quarter time. Yeah, so starting with that Geelong-West Coast Mm. game, that was just a cracker. West Coast was in front at the start of the last quarter. Hawkins comes out, kicks a goal, and then they just were kind of unstoppable, weren't they? I just didn't see it coming. I've been on West Coast all year. All year. And I don't think I got it wrong. Like no. I don't think I don't think no. that they were terrible. But the thing that really shocked me was seeing the Lions and GWS, that could have gone either way. Three points. Mm-hmm. All I could think is would you rather lose by thirty points or thirty goals than three? I feel like three is just it's right there. You can almost touch mm. it. And it was just in the last couple of minutes and it just feels like it's got it's just gone. Oh, it's gone so but quickly. Don't you think that makes you feel better about how it went? That you almost could have won and so you're right, your fans. For fans, you're able to go away and think, well, but for 
Toby Green, but for that one umpiring decision, but for X, we would have been playing in the prelim and we'd be right. Do you know, I really think the thing with GWS was their defence stood up unbelievably. So Brisbane had all the momentum and they, the ball just kept going straight back into their fo- into their forward mm, 50, mm. but it wasn't going in in a way that was meaningful. They mm. just kept bombing it through. And I think if Brisbane had been able to maybe think through their forward 50 entries a little bit more clearly, that mm-hmm. game would have had a totally mm-hmm. different result. They must result. have been exhausted. It was a scrap. The, was. They needed to convert and uh, 10 changes in lead, which is just incredible. Mm. And the AFL must be so happy to come in and, like you said, Tess, this is one of the most exciting years bar having a team in it that you're barrack for. Um, But it's just been so exciting. And there I was on the edge of my couch. And I'm not often on the edge of my couch when it's teams. I'm not following. So I really cared on the weekend. Mm. Did you see the post-match interview with Phil, who I love? Footy Phil. Footy Phil, Mm. Phil Davis, who was amazing. He's such a – I really like him. I think he's fantastic. And if he's what GWS stands for, then sign me up. Not literally, but, you know, figuratively. (laughs) His post-match – on the ground interview, he was just like a fan. He was like, "What just? Did you see that? What just, what <laughs> I just love happened? That. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, did we, we? I don't know what happened then. Like he was exhausted, elated, kind of flabbergasted, and I loved seeing that. Mm. It's such a rare thing to see when they don't have it all together. What is it about post match interviews? Because I did mention this on the Don't Shoot Pod the other day that we um were very lucky to go and mm-hmm. hang out with Carol and Corey, but. Joel Selwood has found a little way into my heart. Not words I ever thought I I would hear you say. He just, he played such a great game. He was so good. 26 disposals and a goal. And he, at the end of the game, was so excited. And I guess I just saw a different side to him. I could see how much that meant to him and how much the playing group really wanted to, to get that win and how much they cared about Chris Scott. It really just came across. That was the big difference, I think, on Friday night was that if you are if you were the other Geelong players, people like Jed Buse, people like Mark O'Connor, who really stood up and played amazing mm. out of their skins, how could you not be inspired by your captain? Yeah. He was mm. out of this world. Mm. He leads from the front. How could you not want to play for him? Mm. How significant was Toby Green not getting rubbed out last week? The fact oh. that he was playing, like, I don't think they win without him. As it stands as we're recording this, we don't know they're going to appeal the decision that was handed down by the tribunal yesterday. Oh, look at showing off. Tribunal. Say tribunal, Alicia. Tribunal. Now you two have a go. Tribunal. Tribunal. Oh. Tribunal. You were close. Half half of the people in this studio can't say tribunal. <laughs> so we're, we're waiting to hear what happens with Toby Green. I feel like I don't know that he'll get off. I don't know if he will either, but I do think there has been a miscommunication with the Giants. Why wouldn't you appeal that decision? Uh, he was worth two goals and 25 disposals on mm-hmm. Saturday night and Brisbane lost by less than a goal. So, I, I mean, footy's a game of one percenters for, you know, two hours. However, he was a massive reason mm. why they won and he will be a massive reason if they don't win this weekend against the Pies. He, he might win them that game. I love in the commentary, one of the commentators said, Toby Green 
tries to step through traffic often. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> just Let's on its own, <laughs> just hang in there. I, I see, I see him stepping over a little tiny train set that has some cars and stuff yeah. like that. You must be, are you a little bit thrilled that Tom, I mean, this is a big week, <laughs> week for you because you're Richmond, your husband's Geelong, Yes. I'm a Geelong girl as well. Grew up in Geelong. Dad worked at the footy club. Got a very close connection and affection for that football club. But this week I feel sick all the time. I was secretly thrilled that Tom Hawkins got rubbed out because I really do think... Not secretly because you've just gone with it here. I have said it several times. (laughs) (laughs) On the the national broadcast. To anyone who will listen to me. But my husband is really cross with Tom Hawkins. He feels personally let down Mm. and offended by... Which I love that footy makes you feel like that. You feel like your player let you down. He's very sad. I do think, though, there's a bit of a risk because there is a stat about Tom Hawkins the last five times that they've played without him, they've won. Because I think... That when your star or your big forward doesn't mm. play, everybody else lifts and mm. everybody else says, well, it has to be me. And so then that's really hard to defend against, even though we do have an excellent defence. How do you defend <laughs> against the random forward who you don't even know who it is? So and look, Radicalier was awesome oh, last he week. He was awesome. Mm. He was marking everything. Yeah. Also huge for Richmond is that Sydney Stack is out. He is. He has been out for a little while. He injured himself playing the VFA. It was very odd because he was stack, on such stacked. a run. Stack, stack. He was on a run, but he's he was a run. Put back to the VFL and injured himself straight away in the VFL. So then I was like, he should never have been put back to the VFL. I don't think that's what did it. I don't think he's going to make it no. back. And why would you upset the system at mm. the moment? Because it's all working quite well. I do miss him though. He was he. I feel regardless. like in finals he would have potentially been something really exciting to watch. But we did see Shay Bolton in oh. the Brisbane oh. game, who hasn't played like that until this season. And, and he really stepped up. And Would so you say he marked at the highest point? He marked it at the highest point and he juggled it at the highest mm. point. It was amazing. Uh, <laughs> so I think that other people will step up in the place of Sydney and that will happen for Tom Hawkins too, so who knows. So Richmond, Geelong, mm. Friday night, and then they've gone and pulled out a little twilight number for mm. us on the Saturday. Collingwood Giants, Alicia, you're from a Collingwood household. Our emotions running high. Yeah, it's one of those things. Uh, I had to sit there and um, get tickets for my partner who was working. So I had to sit there with six screens open. I should show you a picture. And (laughs) until one just broke through and then I got tickets. Is that why I couldn't get on? Yeah. Because you had had six six. screens in the queue. (laughs) I did. Interesting approach. Six screens would do my nutting. It did. It was all in front of me. It was like I was on a space station and I just waited for something to break through. And when it did, I pounced. So Collingwood, yes. But uh, GWS, wow, they looked great. Can GWS beat Collingwood? Yes. Yep. I saw someone tweet about GWS and, you know, last week I was a bit embarrassed that I called them the orange men, but then I saw someone tweet that they bleed orange and grey. <laughs> yeah. really made me laugh. My heart beats orange, orange and grey. That is a yeah. sci-fi I really love, story. I love that a lot. Ooh. Yeah. It's better than bleeding brown and yellow. Oh, that's true. But no, I don't know. I feel like it's going to be, I think they're both going to be really close games. It's this exciting. Hopefully. I always feel like one of them's a blowout. I hope it's mine. <laughs> I know you do. Uh, okay, do we have a commentary watch this well, week, Alita? Well, I just wanted to say, I know it's such a cheap joke to do this, that forever and ever and Wait, ever. It's not, it's not below us. It's This is like, you know how I go lowbrow, low you guys keep it high I it. and I just bring it right down. It's uh, Look, I've always found games erotic ever since Sandy Roberts was uh, commentating and he'd just throw in a few uh, double entendres. And this is not to say that the game should be seen as erotic. It just 
to my ears, I was tired and I wrote down all these words. Firstly, I must say, one of the commentators said, I'd just go up to Mumford and I'd say, hey, mummy, what do you reckon about moving over there? I love that he said, hey, mummy. Do we call him mummy? Does anyone call him mummy? Yeah, I think they call him mummy. Okay. He had a terrible game, by the way. He had a terrible game. It doesn't matter if he goes over there. He wasn't playing well. (laughs) He said, go to the bench. (laughs) Yeah, it was one of his own players. These are all direct quotes. He got some deep entry there. Ball user like he is. There's a good hard tackle on Cameron. All over him. Hard tag. Shoot it to Gardner. He sends it to the dangerous spot. Lockie Whitfield gets on his back. They'll want re-entries and territories. Oh, long, deep ball. Big, thumping spoil. This is all strangely officiated. It's a physical game. Measured balls. Push and shove between a forward and a defender is pretty normal stuff. Whoa. We officiated or whatever. What is going on at your place? <laughs> this is direct quotes from the TV. I can't watch oh. that the same. This weekend I'm only going to hear it with that music. <laughs> oh. But it's just you put you pull a quote out here and there. That's exactly all the things the, the commentators said, word I, for word. I, I'm pretty sure once a year we lower our standards and do a sexual commentary like watch. Yeah, did one last year. I think she did. Yeah. So we're going to re- allow it Thank and um, put it out. Put our adults only warning on it. Uh, Lucy, did you have an omen watch for us? I do have one and I didn't come up with it myself, but thank you, Twitter. (laughs) Always delivers. This is a cracking one from Finn Blake at Finn Blake 2. This is so good. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good that my microphone just broke. Before she said it, I'm out. Okay, okay, okay. In 1910, Collingwood won the premiership. In 1911, Collingwood lost the grand final. In 1918, Collingwood lost the grand final by five points. And in 1919, Collingwood beat Richmond in the grand final. Fast forward to the 2000s. 2010, Collingwood wins the premiership. 2011, Collingwood loses the grand final. 2018, Collingwood loses the grand final by five points. <laughs> what is going to happen in 2019? It's an amazing omen watch. It did not translate in the speaking. <laughs> well, this is my concern. It didn't. I'm just saying because you need to see that you're saying 1910, 2010. Oh, like yes. that's the cor- Did you? Yeah. Okay, I did Basically 100 years. 100 years mirrored. But, but, there we go. I should have just said that. But don't you come across an exciting thing. Collingwood, Richmond, can you imagine there'd be 550,000 people in Victoria who'd want to go? Well, they just shut down Punt Road. Like from Victoria Park to Tigerland. It is pretty exciting. Game on. I mean, the Sharks and the Jets. Hello. (laughs) My friend Lachlan just texted me about um, if it was Richmond, Collingwood. He said Mad Max, Punt Road, which is definitely true. It will blow up. Nothing to give away from GWS Geelong, but that that, 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 That that would also be awesome. Some it would be amazing. We'd all, all our hearts would be beating black. What colours? We'd be bleeding grey and grey, yellow and blue. And yellow and blue, and blue and But there'd orange. be no Three monster yellow. trucks or fireworks. No. no. So the spiritual home of Collingwood is Victoria Park, right? Yes. But is that where they would all meet or would they meet at Olympic Park? Where did they meet the other year? I think they went to Olympic Park for the... Like they maybe put the up a big screen and they watched it there, and then yeah. the family day might have been at Victoria yeah, Park. After you rem- that. Well, do you remember seeing in the um, Collingwood documentary 
Nathan Buckley walking across from Olympic Park. Thank you, Miss Marple. She solved the case. She solved the case. Gavel. <laughs> but <laughs> if, case closed. Who did it? If Richmond it was win Buckley a, it's at a real, Olympic Park. Who done it? I'm Sam Moston, and you're listening to the Outer Sanctum. Let's roll up our sleeves and melee, ladies. I'm just going to start with a little grab from my friend Margaret Atwood. And we walked along the side of a large grey stonework building, then past a statue of a woman with some other women posed around her. You didn't usually see statues of women in Gilead, only of men. Yes, a statue was erected of a woman in the middle of Gilead. I mean Federation Square, Taylor <laughs> Harris's statue. As we had just come from the statue unveiling, I don't, my naive brain didn't even imagine that people would spontaneously combust with terror and fear about mm. a statue of a woman happening in Federation Square. It seemed to be quite divisive for a lot of people. And the sticking point at a lot of points of argument was that it was a bronze statue. How can a bronze statue go to someone who hasn't played 300 games? And I was thinking, <laughs> is it the bronze fact? I'm so confused. Is bronze, <laughs> like, what is that? Is it? Does that hold some kind of magical power that the men's need? Well, the science of bronze, there's the Bronze Age and uh, it was... Which is where we are on Twitter. Which is where we are on Twitter, (laughs) fourth millennium BC to second millennium BC. But the advantages of bronze, Emma, corrosion resistance. By forming a protective surface, most copper alloys resist many corrosive environments, i.e. just gets better over time. So that's where it is. Uh, It withstands high temperatures, i.e. won't take shit from anyone. Not even birds. Uh, No. Friction and wear, uh, it will outlast all of us. And weldability. So many other statues of women can be made and it can withstand that. So that's in the science that it can be made. Why don't we live in bronze houses? Because can people throw stones at people who live in bronze houses? (laughs) It'll bounce back and hit you on the head. That sounds fantastic. (laughs) We thought what we'd do is bring to you Twitter as a one-act play in response Mm -hmm. to the Taylor Harris statue, which we, of course, loved. We lost our tiny minds about it in the best way possible. Well, in a positive way. Mm. We loved it. We love bringing you Twitter as a one-act play. Are we ready to do this, ladies? At... Phil Olivetti underscore. This is ridiculous. There are so many iconic Australian female athletes that deserve to be immortalised before her. No one will remember her or this moment in 10 years' time. At DCP3107, Dan. Geez, Taylor Harris, not half up herself, is she? She hopes the statue is a turning point in Australian society. She also suffers from tall poppy syndrome, apparently, because if you disagree with her, you are a troll. Some people just love attention. By the way, you don't suffer from tall poppy. Other people suffer from the tall poppy. She caught it at school from someone. At Biz Falcon. Well, the AFL was good once. It was a good run for 120 years. (laughs) This is the equivalent of making a statue for the boot stutters or the guy who puts on the barbecue after training. Statues for all, I say. Forget achievement. At Bowley Boy. Yes, it was very sudden. I love all she stands for, but I think Taylor has jumped the queue here, or the powers that be have. <laughs> and Matt Tilby. This is a positive, though. If you're upset and confused as to the reason why Taylor Harris got a statue and you post about it online, you're now part of the reason Taylor Harris got a statue. At Jordan Rasco, why isn't there a statue of the guy who ran into a wall while trying to outpace the Kathy Freeman exhibit at Science <laughs> Works? Mic drop, insane. <laughs> 
Okay, so oh. let's dig into the, oh. the ones that you read out because there was a lot of themes happening here. A lot of them were around the fact that she jumped an imaginary queue and that all of a sudden all these people were advocates for women's sport and the statues that didn't exist of them. Absolutely. And, you know, leading the charge was um, some sports journalists from big mm. broadsheet newspapers. That is surprising. Which is surprising. <laughs> and look, fantastic that you think that all of these other people should get a statue. But so I'll read good. I'll read a tweet from Ronnie Lerner who said, Taylor Harris gets a statue ahead of the likes of Kathy Freeman, Lauren Jackson, Elise Perry, Sally Pearson, Curry Webb and Michelle Timms. And yes, he has a point, but she doesn't get one ahead of Maccabi Diva or Black Caviar. They already have them. I think. I'm sorry. Do you mean the Sportswoman of the Year? Sportswoman of the Year. Yeah, that's important. The other thing that when I there's actually a website called Monuments Australia, and you can go through and you can have a look at all of the different statues. One of the things that I was quite, I guess, surprised to to read is that there are more statues for men named Ken or Kenneth yeah. than there are for women. Oh. And I think our own Nicole Hayes made a really good point when she said, it's not like we can only have one. So fantastic to hear people talking about the need to recognise some of these other women. And our good friend Angela Pippos actually writes mm. about this in her book, Breaking the Mould, which we've talked about so many times, but if you haven't read it, you really need to. Chapter five is called Invisibility. And she talks about when the Adelaide Oval is refurbished and how there are a number of statues and... And rooms and dining rooms, rooms and, and wings all sorts of and parking spots. Toilets. And, yeah. Bay Marie's. <laughs> Even the Bay Marie's are named after men. <laughs> Sir Kenneth, Kenny, <laughs> Kenneth, Kenner. Bay Marie. Marie. <laughs> I mean, all Bay Marie should be called Marie. We all know that. <laughs> or Mari. Mari or Marie. Bay Marie. Bay Marie. <sighs> okay. The really important thing that Ange talks about in this chapter is the power of monuments and statues to inspire people and to tell a different story. And she, I'm going to quote from her book here. She says, in the heavily masculine world of sport, role models are especially important for women and girls because encouragement in the form of a role model can be the difference between a girl staying in sport and her giving up. And I think that's the thing that was really important about the Taylor Harris statue. And what really upset me when, you know, particularly when I saw people who are sports journalists who had a take on Twitter, people tried to explain that this statue was actually part of something much bigger and it's it wasn't. political. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To see their reluctance to actually engage with that information that they were being given makes me wonder how you can actually be a sports journalist if you're missing a big movement or a information about a big section of the people who actually are following sport in this country. It's just closing mm-hmm. off. It's saying I'm not listening mm-hmm. to you and I'm not speaking to you and I've got no interest in what is interesting about sport for you. I was fascinated about they asked Malcolm Blight what he thought and he wasn't the only man that got to say his opinion of what he thought about it. I just kept thinking, why is no one asking women what they think? Where is anyone asking? Like my nine-year-old daughter and I went and saw the Taylor Harris statue on Saturday night and she was desperate to see it. She was as excited about seeing that as she was about the concert I was taking Mm. her to. I tweeted about it actually and I've never had this happen before but this tweet that I wrote got 2,000 likes and it's still going. It's insane, right? Didn't bring too many haters to the yard, which was really interesting. They didn't like that I called 
the haters the patriarchy. And some people want to pick me up on that, but whatever. What if? My dad went to school with the patriarchy, so I know them quite well. I can say whatever I want. They're I just, all called Ken. They are all called Ken. Sorry, Ken. And they all have a statue. But the other thing is, to your tweet, Tess, why doesn't the bootstutter get a statue? Like, why do we yes. have to have this hold it up to this milk and blight level of only people who can have statues are people who've played a certain number of games. I think it's time to break this down. Yes, absolutely. I was going to read out one more tweet for you, which goes to this point. And it's by a person called Holly. And she said, a bronze statue of a man in a baseball cap leaning over a computer keyboard, squinting. The plaque below, it reveals its title. Actually, it's about ethics and acknowledgements of sporting achievements. <sighs> and it kind of goes back to Gamergate back to and back to yes. the question of merit. Mm. It always comes back to this. No, no, no. There's heaps of women that are great for the board, but you're not one of them. And, oh, we would employ women on our board, but, you know, it's about merit. Like, do they deserve it? What is merit? Merit is a thing that we make up. Merit is an unconscious bias that we see to other people of that person has the merit or whatever to deserve a statue. In Melbourne, for example, there's a statue of someone's dog that they loved. There's a statue of a purse that people sit on. A pen. A pen. There is a whole lot of public monuments and they mean different things to different people. That photo means so much at a time and it will will live on longer than 30, 40, 50 years. We're not talking about medals. We're not talking about Kathy Freeman. It was so weird. It's not at the MC. CG. It's not no. at the Olympic Stadium. It's not. It's it's an art piece. And even if it, even if it was of a footy, it means something to someone. Maybe it's not for you. But this idea that everything has to be for, for them, for old mate who works Ken. at the paper, and Ken who mm. owns the Bay Marine, it's not for you. It doesn't have to be for you. It just reminds me in the nineties. There was a in Brunswick Street. There's a beautiful statue of a poet called Adrian Rawlins, who was great. A great poet, a real collector of friends, and he was just incredible. But no one really gave a fuss. They sort of said, who is he? Because he's Mm. a poet and some people didn't know it. But they just kind of, oh, yeah, okay, that's him. Mm. But no one was marching. No one Mm. was up in arms. It's one of those things that's quite weird. It was frustrating for me because... We'd just seen the community of football be so great at supporting people through a hideous and awful situation. And then they just, the same community just turned on women Mm. so quickly and turned on Taylor and someone dug out, you know, footage of her missing a goal from a couple of metres out and that's doing the rounds and she got personal attacks and it's just so frustrating. But to me, it's a modern day sphinx. It's a riddle because for the very people who are outing themselves saying she doesn't deserve it, that's the very reason Mm. why she got it in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And you you mentioned the week that it had been and we also had not only the death of Danny Frawley and a discussion about mental health and particularly in this game, but we had Don Pike stepping down as coach and saying there is a real issue with how we are going to be able to enjoy this game because there there is an issue of contentment. Mm -hmm. We also had Daisy Pearce say she had to delete Twitter because she didn't ask Tom Hawkins a question on the boundary and that was some somehow what a question th- that he wouldn't have answered By anyway. Way, what would he have said? And if we love this game and we want it to be great and we want it to be good and we want it to last, then we're going to have to make it an environment that people want to be involved in. But it is toxic and it can be awful and it makes people want to step away. And that's a good time to recognise that Kate O'Halloran has written a really interesting piece about the trolling of when she made a mistake mm-hmm. and then when she acquiesced and the rollout from that. Yeah. And it's getting a lot of support on Twitter and it deserves it. Because, you know, but for the grace of God, all of us could be on the other side of that in one second. Mm -hmm. This is the Bronze Age. More statues of everyone, I say. I feel like brown, low red carpet is also the Bronze Age. 
A little bit. Yeah. Bronzer. Bo- bronzer age. Yeah, that'll be Monday night. So the <laughs> other big topic that's been floating around in the last couple of days is the AFLW-CBA, which Caroline Wilson wrote an article about on the weekend, I think. So the AFLW players are in negotiations. They're trying to get the Players Association to they're negotiate. that out of a three-year CBA, which basically would cover the fixed, you know, how many games they play, pay and a whole lot of different conditions. Exactly. Mm. So that's being discussed at the moment. What's really interesting is that the playing group and I think the PA have different opinions on what they should be asking for or fighting for. The players who have been in the system now for almost four years, and I think that they've been fed a fair bit of just be grateful and just accept it. You think about the girls that went into that system as 21-year-olds or something. They're 25 now, maybe 24. They've put on hold uni or having children or whatever it is for the promise of something that's coming. And the can seems to be getting kicked further down the road. But it sounds like the players have created a really tight group of vocal kind of supporters for their own cause. And what they're really after is to play everyone mm-hmm. once. And I'm really proud of them for doing that because that is something that the supporters want too and to hear the players not be fearful and being able to say and speak their truth really impressed with them yesterday on the don't shoot pod caro and corey were talking about it and caro asked me if if this is a terrible time for AFLW, if this is the demise or if this is the end or whatever. But I actually feel really optimistic about it. I actually feel like this is the first time I'm hearing the players really step up and use their voices and I'm very proud of them for doing that. Mm. I think it's really brave. They must be terrified. They have a lot of support. I think it's really interesting that there was an article that came out a number of weeks ago that was authored by three parents. So Chris Cordner, Peter Huntington and Justin O'Day, they really focused in on this issue of the length of the season. One of the things that they mentioned in that piece is that the women play one-sixth as much football as the men. That's because of less games but also shorter games. And they made the point that for many people the pre-season is actually longer than the season. Mm. And so I think the writing's kind of been on the wall that this is a real sticking point, that the women just want to play more football. The other thing that was really interesting Interesting that came out of that article by Carolyn Wilson is that on the AFLPA, there is a one position for a female player and Meg Downey is on that at the moment. And that can be a very difficult thing if you're voting and she's mm. the only person We've talked that about really this before. If you're the only person in the room that has yeah. is wearing those issues, you need you need at least two of you, but she's Absolutely. never going to get anything ratified if she's the only voice for AFLW. Mm. Agreed. Do you guys think it's problematic that they're looking at a three-year CBA for a competition that's only been around? We've only had three seasons. How can you do a three-year CBA when we don't even know when next year's Fixtures. fixture is going to start? You can't. We, we spoke at the very beginning of this year with Nicole Livingston and we talked about forward planning, having a five-year plan, having a 10-year plan, having a 20-year plan. We just found out during the week that Brisbane and Collingwood are going to play on Thursday night, Easter Thursday for the next three years. They can fixture the men's game for like... <laughs> 50 Eternity. years. We know that the MCG gonna is going to have the grand final for 45 mm. years. Yeah. How is it possible that even for the next two years, we don't know when the women are going to even be playing? They're mm. moving, we know Danny Marshall, moving overseas to play this game. They are giving everything. Like quite literally, they could be not taking holidays all year because they have to save up their annual leave Absolutely. for this fictitious not yet created but, oh, fixture. We just haven't of when got on. We haven't got on to it. Because Toby Graham was at the tribu- tribunal. Twice. Meanwhile, they're working stocking shelves at Absolutely. a supermarket instead of going to uni because they have to have a job that allows them to be able to get to training because they actually 
do play more games because they have to play an entire VFL or local. Yep. And I th- look, I think what's also really difficult is that timing is now being used to pressure mm. players into signing it quickly. You could have done this at the start of the year. And just a reminder as well that the way that they're paid is based on a pro rata calculation based on a rookie wage in the AFLM. Mm. Not even not even a first year, like not even a mm. player, like a rookie wage. It's the lowest possible. That's how we're working out how much Aaron Phillips gets paid. And there's a big mm. groundswell, of course, for people like us to want to pay to go to the ground and that they can't get that together. I understand there's a lot of costs and we, we sort of wore it for the first few years or couple of years that, okay, there's a lot of issue, issues with ticketing and so forth. But now I, re- I really think there's a lot of us that want to pay. Do you know and- what we should do is collect gold coins at the door and then give it to the players for them to set up their own players union. Ooh, go rogue. Did I just come up with an idea? Just floating it out. We'll work it. We'll work it it out. There was a report that was released last week and I really wanted to talk about it because it's a report that's come out from Swinburne University and the title of the report is Best on Ground, Why Australians Think Sporting Bodies Provide Strongest Leadership for Public Good. And we talk about this all the time, about the importance of football clubs and sporting bodies to lead and to uh, lead community concepts and to be there as a place to educate. And we often, there is often pushback mm-hmm. about that. But this survey has demonstrated that actually people consider sporting organisations above local government, state government and religious organisations in terms of influence. A report came out and one of the stats that it said was that Netball Australia was considered the highest ranking in terms of overall leadership. Leadership was one of the key pillars of what they thought was important and they thought that sporting bodies gave that to the community. But AFL came in at uh, number two. It was the next best, scoring well in terms of its focus on creating positive social outcomes and its responsiveness to the people that it serves. I thought that was fascinating. So it's not just perceived. It is actually written in data now. It's a huge responsibility. You think about that. It's above local government and state government in what people think. Well, think about it in your own lives with your kids and yourself where you are relying on it. I rely on it socially. So would I go to local government for some comfort and advice and leadership? Sometimes, doubt mm. it, not much, especially when you've got a possum. Mm. <laughs> yes. And um, we might have some possum watch later, Alicia. Oh, yeah, looking forward to possum chat. And um, before we move on, George Megalogenis wrote a book called The Football Solution, which was actually a, about just this, Em. It was about looking at Richmond and how Peggy and Brendan and Damien Hardwick run that club and show leadership and how our politicians could take note of how that football club is run and to think about inspiration for how we run the country. It is an excellent read, but it talks a lot about these things, about the breakdown in public trust of institutions. We've, politicians have no credits in the bank in terms of trust anymore. And to I think to lead, you have to have trust. What's really interesting about that is when I was speaking to Brendan Gale, I said to him, we were talking about the business that he was in, and he said, we're in the business of feels, of the feels, mm. because they're obviously in the business of winning premierships as well, but the feels. And you do get those feels from a footy club. The other place where I've seen that quoted was in the series about Roger Ailes, and he was talking about politics. And mm. he said, politics needs to give you the feels because you'll vote on feels more than just on words. So sporting organisations mm-hmm. and politics actually could be really well merged in that, you know, if it gives you a sense of pride or ownership Passion, belonging. or belonging, mm-hmm. then that's what gets your heart racing. Mm-hmm. So in a really positive story that we saw this this week, the AFL has announced an $18 million three-year boost 
for Victorian country football. And the way they've done this is mostly through the abolishment of the AFL Victoria affiliation fees, which will save clubs something like just over $3 million a year. They're also going to scrap the umpire registration fees and cost of club apparel will be reduced. And this is something that we've talked about, that for country clubs, those costs to be part of AFL Victoria have been so high in some cases that it's actually made the ongoing viability of those clubs questioned. So this, I think, is a great initiative. The other part of this is um, help and support for volunteers and a real acknowledgement that a lot of these clubs run on the back of so much unpaid work Mm -hmm. by amazing volunteers. So thank you to everybody who is out there working in sporting clubs because you're actually awesome. The VFLW grand final is on this weekend and we got the chance yesterday to go old school, sanctum style. We did an interview in the car, which we haven't done since, I don't know, since the birth of time. And it was so lovely. But our, our, the person that we interviewed was Penny Reed, who is the coach of the Collingwood VFLW team. She's the current coach of the year in the VFLW. But a bit of backstory, just in case you didn't know this part of her story, because you're going to need it as you head into the interview. She was part, when she was 15, she went to VCAT with two other uh, friends that she played football with in a sex discrimination case where she was trying to get the age uh, restriction changed because she wanted to play mixed football after the age of 12, which had been legislated as the age that women had to stop playing. So they got it moved to being 15, I think it was. And so then she got to keep playing. But then, of course, she would have had to drop out of the system. She then came back. She played a season of AFLW. She became a coach. She's been a really vocal supporter of marriage equality. Penny Reed is one very impressive magpie. We loved catching up with her. It's been a long time since we've sat in the car and done an interview. It's very old school sanctum, but we had an opportunity to speak to the VFLW Coach of the Year from 2018, a pioneer in women's footy, a trailblazer, a player, an advocate. She's the current Collingwood VFLW Coach heading into Grand Final Week. Pinnacle Reid, welcome to the Outer Sanctum. Well, thank you for having me in this lovely vehicle of yours. <laughs> <laughs> it's Grand Final Week, Pies Bulldogs, the last time you guys met. The Bulldogs got the W. How do you prepare for this week knowing that? Well, we we sort of prepare the same as we have every other week. I think it was just more of a nervous thing, the the round that we played against the Bulldogs, not being able to convert in front of goals. But in the home and away season, we played against them. We won by 74 points. So we know that we've got the team to to beat them on the weekend. But finals is a completely different story. They're going to come out. Every team's got nothing to lose. So um, I'm excited about what the game will bring. I'm excited about the aftermath, you know, win or lose. It's it's a massive learning curve for the playing group, but also me as a, a young developing coach and sort of how do I deal with the situations? Like I love pressure. Like I love the pressure of having to make decisions, you know, in a split second. And if they work, they work. If they don't, they don't. But I, yeah, I find that I find the best part of myself is in pressure situations. It's funny, Penny, because, you know, people might know you as a coach or as a player, but for many of us, especially for many of our listeners, they'll know you from back in 2003, when as a 15 year old, you famously took Football Victoria to court for the right to keep playing football and I was interested in whether there were actual you know there was pressures around that and whether you felt vulnerable and how you felt coping with that as a 15 year old uh yeah I mean I get the chance to reflect on it every now and then and like just to keep myself in the loop I watched the documentary Even Girls 
just to sort of remind myself of of that event and and sort of where I've come from and where women's football has come from and every time I look at it I go geez you haven't changed a bit you still look exactly the same in in the moment it's one of those things where I didn't really know what was going on on the outside just being present you know not understanding the the snowball effect of this court case and and what what happened and all I remember is being at school being chased down by the media having to do year 10 exams um, and the pressure of that was really intensifying but knowing that being able to succeed in life is dealing learning how to deal under pressure and as a 15 year old changing the law there's nothing um that you can sort of set you up for life than something like that there was two other girls that were involved in that case emily and helen firstly do they still play and secondly on like the night of the first ever afl w match i mean you must have been feeling all the feels that night but did you ever reflect with them on the distance that you guys had kind of come and the journey and how it had kind of impacted this moment I'm not sure if Emily's still playing. I know that Helen has just had a baby, so um, fantastic for her and um, her husband, Tyler. I I was emergency for that first game, and I think for me, just being out there, the atmosphere, getting to warm up on the field, then having the chance to actually sit back and watch it all unfold, I think for me is is more important than actually playing that day. And, you know, there's been plenty of pioneers before me that has seen women's football, um, Debbie Lee, Shannon McFerrin, Anne Rulton, Lisa Caddo, the, the pioneers, like the, the bread and butter, you know, the, the, the first standing pioneers of women's football. And I know for them it was a really proud moment. I know for me it was probably one of the proudest moments that I've had in my life is being able to see what the evolution of women's football and it's just only begun and haven't really had the chance to reflect with Helen and and Emily we haven't really caught up since you know we had a 10-year reunion in 2013 so it's probably about time that we get together and you know see where it's all come there might be you know a 20-year reunion um, in a couple of years that we can probably get together and have a chat about you know what what had happened and where it is now. You talk about changing the law as a 15-year-old, but you and your partner, Mia Ray Clifford, famously lent your support to the marriage equality debate. Was there any vulnerability in talking so publicly about something that's so personal? Yeah, unfortunately, me and I are not together anymore. We um, sort of part ways uh, late last year. And during the time, it was one of those things that I was being interviewed by a newspaper and they said, you know, I mentioned my partner, Mia, and he goes, oh, do you want to, did you want to say that? And I was like, well, what? Like, I, I don't understand why you're questioning if I should mention if I, my spouse or who, who I'm in a relationship with, why does that have anything to do with, you know, my story? So I went back and I spoke to Mia about it. And she's like, oh, well, you know, are you ashamed of me? And that's when I was like, whoa, okay. It's got nothing to do with being ashamed with you. So it was then that um, I decided that, you know, again, got to stand up and just say, no, this is who I am. This is, this is what I'm about. Contacted Ash Brazel, who was one of the netballers. I think she's the only out female netballer. And her beautiful partner, Brooke, are about to have a baby in, in December. And it's just beautiful for them. So congratulations, guys. Um, but yeah, just sort of spoke to her about what are some things that she faced and anything that you can do together as a couple makes you stronger. Um, so it was really important for us and I think for the wider community just to say that, yeah, this is us. We're, you know, flying the flag, but we are who we are and we love who we love and why does that make us any different? Given your experience in, you know, some really tricky times where you're fighting for things that really mean a lot to you, do you find yourself at the moment 
as a coach being having a role, I guess, in supporting players who might be negotiating the CBA for the AFLW, you know, players who are, I guess, having to advocate for themselves for something that really means a lot to them. Yeah, and it's one of those things, and you know, this is part of women's sport, isn't it, that we are always trying to push the boundaries and we push a little bit harder because we're females and I think it's great and the more that we can do it together, it's not just AFLW, it's it's all women's sport. Instead of trying to fight against each other about, you know, who gets the rights to play, who gets the rights for this and that, it's more about let's band together and push us as a whole collective. Um, I think that's the most important thing rather than just AFLW, the soccer, the netball, um, the cricket you know, we're in this together. Specifically about Australian rules football and women's Australian rules football, what do you consider the biggest issue at the moment? Well, we're trying to build this brand of quality football and we don't have the resources behind it. We've got girls that are working full time, then coming in training three or four nights a week and then expected to put on this amazing brand of athleticism where they're, they're tired. Like a lot of these girls have played for three years without stopping in AFL, VFL, AFL, VFL and still working full time and it's massively stress on the player themselves, the people around them, their workplace, their performance and then you've got the the pressures from the club as well. I think the biggest thing and I'm probably getting in trouble of saying this but I think we've expanded too early. We need to build a, a quality product before we can start selling a brand that's going to be at a high level and a high standard that we believe it needs to be to be sustainable the ability for that is we've got to have the resources again that's a question the chicken or the egg we need to put money into the the clubs for these athletes to become part-time so they can train they can do rehab they can get fitter they can get faster their skills will improve that will then translate onto the ground but it's all a money game isn't it i want to ask you about your coaching pathway you grew up collingwood and now you're the first female coach of Collingwood. You just said in the press conference that you dreamt of that as a little girl. How did you carve out your own coaching pathway? Um, it sort of fell in my lap, to be honest. I was delisted in 2018, um, so after the first AFLW season. And at the start of the year, it was, what are your goals? What do you want to achieve in your football career? And I knew that I only had a certain amount of years left in terms of playing high-level football, and I always wanted to coach. I always wanted to build, you know, the women's footy to the best it can be, and the best way I can do that is teach the next generation of how to play, you know, if that's skill or game sense or off-field, on-field stuff. Um, And then I got approached by, at the time, Wayne Seekman and Maddie James, who was the operations manager, saying, so... We want to offer you a development coaching role with the AFLW for 2018. I said, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. But I want to play another season to see if I can get my body right to be drafted. Um, And I knew there was one game where I was just standing on the field going, when will the siren go? I am exhausted. I have had enough. And that's when I go, yeah, it's probably time to hang up the boots and focus on my next next chapter in my life. And went back to them and said, yep, I'd love to be a development coach, work through the AFLW season in 2018. And then um, they offered me the VFL coaching role. And they said, you know, we want to offer you the role. Do you want to be... You can be assistant coach, you can be the, the senior coach, um, you know, we want to be able to offer you that pathway and that development. So I went back and had a thought about it and I'm the type of person that if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it well and I want to be in control <laughs> and I want to be at the helm and I want to drive the program. So I declined the assistant role and took on the head coaching role and um, never done it before, never coached and I think the biggest thing for me was coaching my peers. So I had actually played with the girls that I was coaching now and to sort of balance that respect level between I was once their teammate, now I'm their coach, you know, and I think it was a credit to them the respect that we had for each other was just fantastic and the fact that I said you know 
I'm new at this. I, I would love your influence, your help to help me guide this group into, you know, what could be a, a, the first season of the VFLW program. And now being minor premiers, winning coach of the year was fantastic for me. And I'm like, oh, okay, I can, I can actually do this. <laughs> I can actually coach. I might, I might be all right at this. And um, all females have the self-doubt, but I just have to look back and reflect on, you know, the results of the program and being able to get five girls drafted last year out of an AFLW club, which is huge. And then, you know, who knows what this year will bring in terms of the, the drafting, but focus at the moment is, is on the weekend ahead and yeah I'm pretty bloody pumped. I just wanted to ask so this weekend the grand final is going to be at Princess Park which is what we call it when the women play. It's massive. (laughs) (laughs) I prefer this ground so much for the women's game than Docklands. Where do you sit on it? Um, I think it's great because at the moment the women's football in terms of the crowd, the capacity, I think it's fantastic. The fact that the crowd's right there, right in the action. The girls are going to embrace it. Still at the community level VFL, it's still community level football, even though we've got AFL clubs um, around. It's it's women's football. You know, there are the days where you put your car lights on to play a game of footy out the backyard or, you know, on an oval. I think it's great and, you know, lucky for us that, you know, Carlton Football Club have put their ground up again for us and this is my where I played my first ever game of AFLW and yeah it could be the first time that I hold up a premiership cup well we wish you all the very best of luck can you tell us one little superstition that you'll have when you walk out onto the ground on Sunday well firstly I'll have my game day socks on um I have worn them all year um secondly one one thing that I do every single game is I get out on the onto the field I pick up a bit of grass and I rub it to my hands and a quote my dad always says to me is just smell the roses so I'll be out there just taking a moment to myself um, reflecting on the season and then just being able to be in the moment and that's what I'll be telling the girls on the weekend grand finals are once in a blue moon and to be part of it to be part of this amazing football club and to bring home some silverware to the women's program we can really see if we can drive something from the from the club from that <laughs> gosh Penny I think we're gonna have to say go Collingwood I know it <laughs> pains us to <laughs> say it <laughs> thank you so much for spending time with us we love your story we love your energy I can't believe how many touch points you are at the helm of moments for women and girls and also men and boys I'm sure who see you as someone really blazing a trail and it's not always easy and we recognize that but we thank you for doing it. Girls always an absolute pleasure thank you. I'm Catherine Murphy and you're listening to the IG Sanctum. It was so nice to be at Prinny Park yesterday and see footy happening. VFL at Prinny Park is so delicious. Lucy, what are the details for the VFLW Grand Final? So the women's game will kick off at 11.35 on Sunday. It will be telecast on Channel 7 and I think it will be on Wharf Radio as well. And the men's VFL game will follow. So go along and take in the double header. Go Tigers, hey? Go Tigers. I'm really looking forward to that. I wish our girls were still in there, but Danny Marshall, she's too good. She's really good, isn't she? Who do you think will win, Bulldogs or Collingwood? Bulldogs. Go Pies. Mm, I'm going to tip Collingwood after meeting Penny. Mm, Fair enough. Fair enough. Go with your heart. She's just so sweet. It's just such a a childhood dream. It's Mm. coming true. It's amazing. It's amazing, Penny. So that was great. Actually, also thanks to Anthony Stangitz, who's been great. And he's the the VFL. I love the VFL and (laughs) VFL Darby. It's so good. If you love AFLW, get along to the VFLW Grand Final because they're all there. And if they're not playing, they'll be standing next to you wearing Birkenstocks and black jeans with a rip in the knee and a puffy jacket. It was pretty great last year, so why not this year? Yeah, it was really great last year. They'll be in uniform on and off the field. Exactly. Tess Armstrong, what you got for us over there? 
I just want to share a great stat with you from Joshua Kay, who does excellent work and has been on the pod before. Dane Rampey, a notorious pole climber, uh, won Sydney's best... <laughs> At the highest point. Look out, ladies. <laughs> he won Sydney's best and fairest last night. Now, Joshua Kay tells us that means that all Danes, D-A-N-E and D-A-Y-N-E, who have ever played a senior VFL or AFL game, have won a best and fairest <gasps> and gained all Australian... <laughs> Wow. Oh. So, and um, then Love we you, followed Kim. up for someone asked, you know, are there any other names like this? And, of course, so Swamp got involved and said the only other name that he could find at that time was Dustin, which is Dustin Fletcher, Dustin Martin. It's a very oh. small you just pool of Dustins. I mean, there's so many more Danes than Justins. Dane Swan, Dane Rampy, Dane Zorko. How many other Danes? Taylor Dane, Great Dane. <laughs> Do you want me to name nuts next? <laughs> so we've talked about this. Well, yesterday, Lucy, Nicole and I went and did Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caro Wilson and Corey Perkin. It was so surreal being on someone else's podcast. It's like putting your feet in other shoes. We would encourage you to listen to it because there's some stuff on there that we don't say on here. Mm. Including some lies from Emma Race. Not lies, hard truths that you can't hack. Was it about the Monopoly board thing? No, that one I stand by. (laughs) (laughs) So go over there and um, and have a listen if you like. It's just us, but it's just a little tiny bit different. But thank you so much to Caro and Corey for having us. We've also got another excellent mashup happening on grand final day with Libby Gore. She's always on ABC local radio on the weekends. She's going to be doing an OB at the MCG on grand final morning and she's having a ladies breakfast. So there's just going to be football loving lady friends rolling through through the OB, the outside broadcast at the MCG. We hope that you will come along. We'll all be there at various times and we'll probably announce what those timings will be. Lucy and I will potentially be sleeping at the G if we want to get a ticket. So we'll be there all night. Stop by. Say hello. (laughs) If it's Richmond Collingwood, we'll be there from Saturday night. Tomorrow, (laughs) yeah. No, it will be 8 till 10 on that morning and um, it's a BYO breakfast because we're the ABC. (laughs) So, so if course. you're interstate, you can listen to us. But if you're not even part of the game because 550,000 people are going to the G because it's <laughs> Richmond Pies, you can come up and say hi anyway. Cause it's, or Geelong. Yeah. Or Geelong. Or Geelong. Or Geelong. Or Geelong. Or West Coast. 330,000 people. It is an amazing atmosphere and vibe on grand yeah. final morning because there's so many people broadcasting from out the front. Yeah. You get yeah. to see all kind of yeah. all the makings, all the it's workings, all yeah. the scenes behind see the museum. See McLaughlin eating a croissant. Yeah, maybe. Before we go, we've got... An amazing magic mirror for you today. We do. And this is a shout out to our dear friend from Twitter, Polly Maeve, who announced earlier in the year that she and her partner were expecting a baby in one of the most on-brand pregnancy announcements I think I've ever seen. This baby is due on grand final day. Now, Polly is a Richmond supporter. Her partner is a Collingwood supporter. So if both of those teams win the prelims, spare a thought. For this little family oh, to be. Goodness gracious me. If there's not two potential suspensions that will change the prelims and a baby due on grand final day, did the finals even happen? That's <laughs> <laughs> the kind of drama so I'm living for. Mm, I've got to get through my own personal prelim where the cat scarf was on mm, in our living room. The divorce And cup. the beanie was on the letterbox. <laughs> I was like, no. Get off. Anyway. Do you think we can touch a cup? I reckon that's our mission this week, should you choose to accept it, that we, let's get our hands on a cup. Oh, yeah, let's touch one. Would it be easier to get grand final tickets or to get your hands on the Premiership Cup, Alicia? I reckon Premiership Cup. Mm, I agree. Mm, I agree. I agree. Let's do it. Coming to a shopping centre near you. Next Wednesday is our last pod of the year. We'll be fresh from the 
Brownlow. Can you be fresh from the Brownlow? Lucy, Tess and I are going to the Brownlow. We will be reporting back what we see in the wild. If we win, you'll know about it. (laughs) (laughs) And Wednesday on our last pod, we have a huge and very exciting announcement for all players and all listeners. It's very exciting. (laughs) There's only one thing left to say. It is Go 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 Pretty! Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.